Hello, pilots and flight instructors. Before I get to this episode of the Naffy More Right Rudder podcast, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank this episode's sponsor, Sirius XM Aviation Weather. Now, it's always great to have a sponsor with a product that I've actually used, and in this case, I have. Not just as a pilot myself, but also as a flight instructor, it is an invaluable resource to show my students just how dynamic the world of aviation weather can be and provide them the understanding of a resource that can keep them safe as they move forward as pilots themselves. So one of my favorite things about SiriusXM is that unlike other platforms that use ADS-B information, SiriusXM uses satellite-based information, which means there are no altitude limitations and no line-of-sight restrictions. What does this actually mean? Well, this means that I can take weather that I collected during my pre-flight brief, and I can take it all the way from the hold short line to my destination. So I can continuously reanalyze how the weather is changing all the way to that $100 hamburger or all the way to the end of that cross-country lesson. So the other nice thing is, is it provides me the opportunity to allow my student to use that information to make decisions, and I can gauge how well those decisions are being made. So across the board, it's the best in-flight weather information you can get in the industry. If you're interested, SiriusXM has set up a two-month free trial, and all you have to do is go to aoba.org forward slash SiriusXM. Once again, we thank Sirius for sponsoring this episode, and I'll say the URL one last time, two-month free trial, aopa.org forward slash SiriusXM. I'm John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today I have a special guest, and uh, he is the founder and CEO of Icarus Devices, which we'll get into a little bit later if you haven't heard of them. But uh, I'd like to welcome Nick Sinopoli to the More Right Rudder Podcast. Nick, Welcome. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're happy to have you. And uh, for those that don't know, uh, Nick is a fixed wing and rotor wing pilot. Um, He has ambitions of becoming a CFI, probably for both. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, He graduated from Purdue with an aeronautical and astronautical engineering degree and currently serves our country as a National Guard air assault pilot uh, in rotorcraft, I believe. And so thank you for your uh, your service there, Nick. Thank you, John. So, yeah. yeah, we've got a lot to unpack here. But uh, before we we start that, tell us a little bit more, a little bit more about you. So I'm a pilot and engineer. Um, you know, I started flying uh, when I was about 16, 17, um, you know, delivering pizzas to, to get hours in a 172 uh, down in Austin where I grew up. And then uh, 
you know, after high school, went to went to Purdue uh, and uh, learned engineering and then went into the military. And uh, for the past eight years or so, I've been working on the Icarus device, which is a smart view limiting device, which came from my experiences as a student pilot. industry. Yeah, and, and we definitely have some things to talk about as far as that's concerned. Um, for those that don't know, we came across Nick and Icarus uh, around AirVenture last year. Nick was kind enough to donate a device for the giveaway in the NAFI Professional Development Center tent. And um, I, I believe you did a presentation too, didn't you? Yes, I think so. Yeah. So, yeah, so we sort of forged that relationship and and the more we've learned about how this whole thing came to be, it's a really cool story. It's a really cool device. And we thought that maybe we could just kind of share how this, uh, where your mind came from developing this idea into putting it into reality. And so first, let's talk a little bit about Icarus itself. What uh, What is Icarus? So it's a smart view limiting device and it replaces the hood or foggles with a changeable uh, view limiting uh, device. So basically what it is, is it allows that instructor or safety pilot to simulate whatever weather capabilities or weather conditions that they, they want to on that, that given flight. So basically it's just bringing the simulator capability into the aircraft and combining the two. So it's got three basic components. The, the meat and potatoes is the, the, the visor. Um, and then it's got a small power control unit that's about the size of a deck of cards. And then hmm. it has a uh, an iOS or an Android app that allows that instructor to kind of, uh, you know, simulate that changing weather. So it's um, it's basically just, a, you know, a, a better tool for for teaching weather decision making or, or training a specific uh, flight regime. Uh, and it. It does stand for Instrument Conditions Awareness Recognition Understanding System, and I, I do, I do understand the connotation from the, the Greek mythological character. Uh, that was kind of a big part of the the um, the name, and then kind of trying to develop the brand around the name. Well, of course, in aviation, we love acronyms, so it it fits right in, right? Yeah. So yeah. when you're talking about changing the the conditions to simulate something or, or changing the way that the device simulates various conditions. How does it do that? What does, what do you mean by that? So um, the, the technology behind it is called Palmer dispersed liquid crystals. Um, so this is uh, there's a film and then in between um, in the middle layer of the film, you can see Whoa. that. Um, so in the middle there, there is crystals suspended in a gel, and then there's another two layers sandwiching in that. And I run just a very tiny amount of alternating current. And the, the alternating current, if you vary the frequency, it'll vary how much those crystals are aligned. And you can you can go from zero to to 100% opacity. Um, I, I actually got the idea from the Boeing 787 Dreamliner, which at the time was coming out. And... Um, in the back, it doesn't have the traditional window shades that you see on every other airliner. It's just got a small dial um, that that can vary that opacity. So I don't use the exact same flavor of, uh, of film or, or technology, but it's the same principle. You're using electricity to um, move something, to move, move, a, move a crystal. So for those of you not watching the video, and this is on our NAFI YouTube page, but for those of you not watching, it's it's very similar to if you've ever seen one of those like super fancy bathrooms 
and the uh the the people have the glass stalls that can go from clear to opaque by you know flipping a light switch that's essentially what he just showed us uh on the view limiting device they're very popular in japan for some reason um and i've i've seen videos and i guess they it allows you to show that the bathroom is clean uh but tourists come in and they don't know how to work it and you have to usually you have to lock the door and then it'll go opaque uh it's also popular in boardrooms and stuff like that or offices um and the 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 film that i use is actually very similar to that one so it's but it's not glass it's plastic correct yeah and and you get kind of different flavors that are designed to either go onto glass or or be sandwiched in between glass but no it's not you know obviously for safety i can't um can't put glass in front of your head and and, right uh, there's a couple other considerations so it's a it's kind of like a, a a plastic film. Cool. Okay. So, how did you come up with this? I mean, I, I know you just talked about like the idea of it, but what it what was engineering this like? Um. So the idea and the idea is the easy part. Um. The idea came from actually, I was learning to fly a helicopter, and we used a piece of paper that would that would that would create a hood anyways we had just taken off on a night a simulated ito we're coming right back around to do a uh, a par precision um approach a ground controlled approach anyways we just taken off from this big airfield we're over a small general aviation airfield and how the airspace worked was you know i think it was the deconfliction was at 800 feet they stayed below 800 feet we stayed above it and i'm flying along trying to run through all my checklists and 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 um the instructor i'll never forget i'm sitting there in the right seat and you know doing my stuff and i see his hand he's sitting in the left seat kind of come back and then swipe the cyclic straight out of my hand we go hard left and i had no idea what was going on um i thought i was doing okay and then him and the um the the other student in the back that's kind of clearing that right side because i can't see start vigorously debating whether or not we almost hit a bird or a plane. And it turned out it was a big buzzer type um, uh, bird. And it passed inside the rotor arc on my side, on the right side. I wasn't particularly a happy camper at that point. It was, I got this piece of paper on my head. I can't see. I don't really have any, you know, we, use, we throw the term essay around. I have no essay of what's going on. And I'm trying to gather it. We come back around and we, we land. And, you know, fill out all the safety reports and stuff, but I'm, I'm walking away from the flight line. It was just like, that was not fun. I really wish I could have been able to see outside quickly. And then I was like, why are we using this, you know, piece of cardboard? Uh, I had just read about the Boeing 787 and how it uses electrochromatic technology to replace the window shade. And it's like, well, if Boeing can figure out how to put that technology on 200 windows in the back of an airliner and make it cost-effective, weight-effective, and safe. Why? Why can't we? Why can't we use that to train what is arguably one of the most important skills of an aviator, which is instrument flying? Mm-hmm. And after that, I had an instructor. Um, I had, I had another issue with the the hood, and and then I, I had an instructor. It was on a weather day. And he was talking about how going what we call in the military, inadvertent IMC, 
in the GA world, it's more referred to as VFR and IMC. People are trying to make UIMC, unexpected IMC happen. Mm -hmm. um, he said that was scarier happening in the United States with another instructor on board than getting shot at by the Taliban in Afghanistan. Oh, geez. Here I am, um, all those years later, uh, developed and, and I'm selling a product and we're continuing to improve and, and, and listen to, to the CFIs that are on the ramp, you know, actually teaching students and, and trying to, you know, cover all the sectors of aviation with this, with this system um, and, and trying to uh, really improve how we teach weather and IFR flying and weather decision making and, and um, all, all that goes along with it. Because once you start pulling that string, there's a lot behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and how this whole thing came to be as far as the podcast is concerned is, is we started talking about not just the, the Icarus product, but kind of what you just mentioned of what's behind it. What's what's part of that thread that you're pulling. And one of the things I love to do is talk to various businesses and, and uh, uh, people with missions and say, OK, well, what are the the popular myths that you want to address or, or dispel and, and how is that connected to whatever it is that you're doing? And, and in your case, you provided me with a few ideas and, and I'd like to talk about some of those because I think they're really interesting. And I think the, the listening audience will as well. Um, one of the things you mentioned that, uh, you know, was part of this is, is what you call 178 seconds to live. Now I'm familiar with what that is. I've seen that a few times, and and I know um, HAI has been very uh, involved in in. I think they made a new one. Um, talk to me a little bit about this, and and how is it connected, and and what's the story? So, um, you know, the the 178 seconds to live is based on some fairly old research done um, at the University of Illinois. I believe it was 1958, uh, and that. That was kind of, it, it re-emerged in the 90s. And when I was, a, you know, learning to fly, you know, it was a video that you were shown or um, it's, it's, still, it's still very much used. And from, from my perspective, there isn't a very good, there, there, was a, there was a training gap in that you can't really, you couldn't really simulate inverting or VFR into IMC. And we used, and it's still, it's a, it's a, you know, not to go into the statistics, it's a major killer. It's a major uh, reason why why airplanes crash. And you know, you, you see those videos, and they're 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 very suspenseful, and it's a countdown, and and it's it's playing on all those fear emotions. The thing is, is that from an engineer from an engineering point of view, I don't like anything that's that's the you know the research is very old. And it's kind of been extrapolated over the decades to, to end up at a hundred. You have 178 seconds to live if you if you go into Bernice. So that's uh, and and just to clarify, not to interrupt, but uh, just so that people understand what it is that we're talking about. What exactly is the 108, 178 seconds? What are they talking about? So if you go back to that study, the the VFR, you know, I think it was the the 180 degree turn study at the University of Illinois, uh, back when the University of Illinois had a flight program. Um, it was, they were, they were basically taking VFR only pilots and simulating in the, um, in the aircraft that they couldn't see outside with a, with a very basic six pack. And on average, it was 178 seconds. They, before they lost control notionally. Hmm. 
So it was it was some great research at the time, um, but you know that was that was sixty something odd years ago, um, and things have changed a bit um, for the better. And um, the, the the issues I have with it is that if you just do a purely fear based instruction, don't ever do that, or you're going to die. If you get into that situation. It, it might help you and it should help you stay out of it. But if you get into it, um, it's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you because you're going to, that's going to be racing through your brain is I have 178 seconds to live. And one of the things that I'm really trying to, to do, especially in 2023 is on the helicopter side of the house, a big part of what we do is inadvertent IMC training, giving those pilots that are out there getting the mission done the best training possible for if they have to go into Britain IMC, um, which it happens. What I'm trying to do is take some of those lesson learns and those, those, that, that training profile and bring it to the wider GA VFR uh, private pilot types, because the FAA mandates you get three hours of, you have to do three hours to simulate IFR. And when I was getting my pilot's license, it was, we're flying back from um, San Marcos into Austin, where we were just practicing landings. Throw these foggles on. We'll log you a point three today, and you'll be that much closer to checking all the boxes to be able to take a check ride. That doesn't that doesn't actually help you um, all that much if you were to find yourself in that situation um, of going kind of VFR into more IMC or VFR into marginal uh, VFR uh, VMC. And, and um, that's a big part of, of what we're about here is, is trying to get people better training. Um, and obviously why we want to work with NAFI is because, you know, uh, you guys um, are, are the biggest um, organization of flight instructors. And, and everybody I talk to at NAFI is, is, is there for, you know, to learn and to, to develop and get better about teaching, you know, to pass that knowledge on to the next generation of pilots. So. Yeah, you know, and and that absolutely is something that, that that's really important because training for training's sake doesn't make sense, right? And, and I think that that kind of summarizes what you just said, you know, just because, hey, oh, this is a convenient time to put the foggles on. Why don't you go ahead and shoot in the approach? Is that training or is that just going through the motions? Are they, are, are, are the students pulling something from that experience that is useful and that will save them, you know, if, if that ever happens, or is it just, oh, okay, this is a forgettable moment. We're just getting point two and an approach. And, um, you know, I used to do that same thing where I used to cancel lessons with students mm-hmm. and the, the school that I was working for would ask me, well, well hang on a second. If you're not going to fly in this, you're not going to fly in that what are you doing? Why, why aren't you providing these experiences for your students? And and the answer to that is, is if I've got to do all the work, what is the student pulling from? Right. You know, just because, yeah, we're going to go and shoot, you know, an actual approach. Well, okay. But if the student's not ready for that and I'm doing the setup and I'm doing the monitoring and I'm doing the radios and they're just kind of sitting there watching, is there, is there educational value in that? Um, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that training value is oh is important. And one of the issues on the civilian side um, 
is uh, you know there's a there's a cost aspect. It's a, it has to be a business. Um, and if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. Um, so you know that's that's kind of some of the that's also some of the headwinds. Obviously, I I, I face is you know it, it's worthwhile to get your students better um, better prepared and, and and bring build that proficiency faster is is a big part of what we do. And, yeah. So it's it's taking the same amount of time or even less but providing more valuable training so where the the student is pulling more useful information in less time is is really what i i hear you're saying yeah exactly and if i could if i could uh, just make one point one of the things about cuz the the device gets most used for just pure ifr training yeah that's, we do a lot of it um no matter where you are uh, or you know, uh, with the device, one of the cool things that you can do and where you can build a lot of that training value. So you're coming down on the instrument approach. When does that training end? Um, it ends when you your instructor is like, okay, take the foggles off and there's the airport. And you, guess what? You're magically at decision height and it just, you know, I, I told you to take it off. And then, you know, either do a go around or you, you, you come in for a full stop. With with the ability to to simulate a wide range, any visibility, what we can do is simulate a gradual breakout into marginal conditions. They can break you out into perfect VMC and then simulate that you you know you flew into a cloud again and you got to go do it a, a, a missed approach after decision height, which can happen in the real world, uh, hmm. but we don't practice in training. So, you know. Getting, giving that student those more experiences and and in a more accurate representation of what it's actually going to be like um, is what we're all about. Is, and that, it's what the device is all about. And that's the, that's the whole point. That's really interesting. I, I'm glad you mentioned that point because that's actually something you can't even really do in a simulator effectively. I mean, you can set the base of the clouds and you can say, okay, I want it sort of scattered bases at the bottom, depending on the level of sophistication of your of your flight sim. Um, but the notion that, uh, you get to decision, I, you think you've, you've broken out, but it turns out there's a lower cloud between you and the runway. And all of a sudden you're back in, you can't really do that in a, in a simulator. So you're providing something that goes beyond what somebody can, can already do with existing yeah. technology. So I, I think that that's interesting. Um, the other thing is between my own training, but then also the training I provided for for students out there, there's always this weird shuffle, kind of what you said, where, okay, take the foggles off. Well, you're at 200 feet off the ground trying to get a student pilot, well, not student pilot, but an instrument student to to land an airplane as now they're taking their eyes off the game to figure out how to get this thing off and then reorient themselves to visual conditions without becoming unstable you know, that, that can be a bit of a dance and it's for, for somebody just starting out to, to have all of that happen in a period of a couple seconds and still maintain stability. That's, that's difficult. So, so two things, one, I've done that dance before and I've had that dance go very wrong on. Oh yeah. Uh, we didn't, we didn't bend metal or anything like that. But, um, and the second thing is, is that I tell people it is more complicated to to put on and get an Icarus device set up than than a than a hood or uh, than most hoods and a set of foggles. Set of foggles is just like you know 
It's a piece. Foggles are just safety glasses, 10 cents from China, and they've been etched to, to or, or you put vinyl over them, whatever. But in the aircraft, it is much more seamless to just hit a button on an app and they break, you know, you break out and, and you don't have to borrow, a, to borrow a theater term, you don't have to break the fourth wall in training. Mm-hmm. It's just, there is no, none of that dance. The instructor or, um, does not have to take control, which is important. And the, that breakout can be seamless. And that's, you know, that's the important part is from a simulation point of view, the less that you can take people out of this scenario, um, the better. So from what I do, you know, those foggles, um, they have those really chunky temples mm-hmm. and they pinch. And it's just a constant reminder that you've got something on. Yeah. Um, you know, the device is designed to be as lightweight as possible. And I tell people, you know, for, it's a safety point of view thing. And, and I fly a decent amount of night vision goggles and I don't like having a bunch of stuff on my head. My neck hurts afterwards. Um, you know, so there's that. But from a simulation point of view, if it's light enough and it's clear, I can get you to forget you're wearing it. And then 40 minutes into the flight, when somebody gives you an inadvertent IMC scenario, guess what? You're going to get that startle factor and that primal response that you're not going to get in a simulator and you're not going to get with hoods and foggles. And, and that's what's so dangerous about the scenario is that we don't practice the transition and the transition is what kills people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not flying along um, in IMC, you know, with a, with a pure instrument scan. It's the transition from visual to instrument. And that's what's tough. And that's why we... That's why we get paid as pilots is is to make those decisions and make those transitions. <laughs> I I completely agree. And and you know, I'm a sucker for technology. So I, I I'm super interested in all of uh, all of the new ways of of doing things. I think uh, you know, it, this is a a very innovative uh piece of tech to to allow for um, you know, better training. On that list that you provided me, um, one of the other things you you said was kind of a, a a passion project for you was the the concept of currency versus proficiency. Yes. How yes. does that link with the Icarus and and let's let's talk a little bit about this. So, you know, I, I kind of break it down into three levels. Um, there's there's art is the aircraft and is the pilot legal for IFR. Um, and that's, you know, is it is it an instrument certified um, air, aircraft and is it is it an instrument certified pilot? And that's kind of like the first overarching level. The currency level is um, obviously there's some currency with the aircraft. The aircraft has to have checks and, and all that stuff. But for the pilot, pilot has to be current in uh, for IFR. And that's what we focus on uh, is making sure you stay current. But but what really matters are are you proficient? Because. I can I can list you off all the 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 things I've I've seen of the aircraft was not IFR certified, but they came back that night or that day when they flew into some bad weather because avionics, I'm sure you've seen, have gotten much much better, and we have a lot more essay in the cockpit than the steam gauges that you know most of us grew up on. But for the pilot proficiency side is. Did you go out there and did you log your approaches? Maybe. Yes, sure. Sure you did. But if that was six months ago, how proficient really are you? And that's one of the things this, the, 
one of the the points that I try and make is it's going to get you to a higher level of proficiency faster. And that ultimate, not maybe not the ultimate level of proficiency, but um, especially when we talk introvert and IMC, but just, just basic IFR procedures, you know, that go around or um, I have some people that they really love simulating the, you know, you take off with the device and clear and at 500 feet, I instantly put you in the suit, which can mm-hmm. be pretty jarring. And, and for me, and how, how I know I'm a pilot is, you know, it takes me, you know, if I'm flown a week or two and, and I'm in the helicopter, it takes me a little bit of stick wiggling time to get kind of warmed up, if you will. So where we see kind of a, a problems is you just took off and at 500 feet, 30 seconds later, you know, after you've started manipulating the controls, you are in the soup on an IFR flight plane or an, in IMC. So what I'd like people to focus more on is the proficiency side, not just the I'm current side. So it kind of goes back to the, again, as we've previously mentioned, the the value of the training that you're receiving. Um, you know, I think we've, going back to the, the whole Foggles thing, there's very no, there isn't very easy ways to begin that process. The student knows it's coming, right? So if you go, all right, I'm going to take controls, go ahead and put the Foggles on, you're at 3,000 feet, you're level, you're stabilized, everything's cool. Um, now sneaky instructors can, while the students putting that on, you can start getting a little unstable and doing things to kind of screw with the student, yeah. but there's, they know it's coming. There's, there's no way yeah. to surprise them by saying here, here's the foggles. You can't just magically make it appear. And so to your point with the ability to, without saying a word, without taking controls, without making any adjustments to be able to put somebody in a real world sort of uncomfortable situation safely um that's the the value of that training increases and and i think that that's a a good point you know it's it's stuff that you could previously only do in a simulator and even with a simulator there's limitations but there's also i've found having done a ton of of uh instruction both again for myself and for for students there's a you can only go so far. There's a perceived level of safety in a sim. So you know that if you screw up, you're just going to pause it. You're going to bring it back. You know, nothing bad's going to happen. Worst case scenario, you rent screen the sim and, you know, we talk about it and, and move on. So while that instruction is valuable, and I don't mean to discount instruct the, the simulators themselves, there's a certain amount of healthy fear as well. When it's real life, when when you you know, yes, okay, the, the instructor's there for a reason and they will keep me safe, but you can't take that edge completely off. Right, right. And um, you know, I'm thinking back to uh you know in the helicopter EMS industry, there's that 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 training gap is you know, we're obviously trying to close it, but you can go into ground-based simulator and you can do inadvertent IMC. And, and I always tell people simulators are excellent training for learning a new aircraft, for emergency procedures, for, um, for learning IFR. They don't do a good job for inadvertent IMC, but they, they're, they're used because that's the only place you can really replicate it uh, up until, up until we start selling Icarus devices. Um, because once that you take away that visual, your body, immediately your brain is I'm in a box at, you know, in a warehouse and that disorientation is not going to happen because 
you know where you are and you know you're safe. And, you know, when we were first starting out, um, our first big deal was uh, Metro Aviation in Shreveport, which is uh, a um, family-owned but large, mostly they do EMS um, work. So all sorts of different um, uh, programs out there. And we did a, you know, got them a device. And uh, I'm going to do a shout out to my friend, uh, dear friend, Matt Johnson in uh, Ohio. And he's taking up and it's a 10,000 hour pilot. Been there, done that, you know, a master of his craft. And Matt's giving him a check ride. And he used the device as I kind of just described where, you know, it's clear for 40 minutes, you know, they're going about the flight doing other training items. And then they're taken off out of a uh, simulated scene call out of a field. They're two or 300 feet. Matt puts him in a turn and then boom, gives him an invert nine seat. Hmm. Like I said, 10,000 hour, very experienced pilot. And he didn't lose control, but he was, you know, a little bit more wobbly than, than, you know, uh, you know, trying to get the aircraft transitioning from a visual to an instrument scan. And he came back. And he talked about what he was feeling and uh, said that was, A, the best training, but I was feeling something. Uh, it, the only time I'd ever really felt like that was when I went Invert 9C, you know, 10 years ago. And I was very lucky enough to, to uh, be able to make the deal with them and get all their pilot stickers training. And that was, you know, you, you, you look back on the past seven or eight years, that was a massive milestone was being able to provide those pilots that training and that's what i'm trying to provide everybody is that ability to take that train to the next level you know i think back to when you're learning a new aircraft and it can be pretty useful just to sit in a cockpit cutout um that just has all the buttons and switches and you're looking on and you're okay this is here that's there um but then you want to move on and maybe you have a, a you know there's there's varying levels so what Icarus is, is just that next level of training. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I've, I've done that stuff too. And, and again, it comes back to nobody wants to be scared in an airplane. That's not the intent of, of any kind of training whatsoever. Cause you scare a student, no. you, you potentially turn them off to the act of flying altogether. However, no. <clears throat> there's a little bit of stress and I've seen a ton of, of graphs and research done that a little bit of stress is a motivator. A little bit of stress provides a a a memory of what you learned during that period of time so being able to provide some of that stress uh in an actual airplane safely um you know i i think that there's some merit to that because again you go back to the simulators and yeah there there are some very effective simulators and and the the full motion sims and and some of the level d stuff and and all of that i mean they do really good job with with doing that but again ultimately no matter how invested you get in the situation you still know hey if if something goes bad here i'm not going to get hurt um right. and i mean i guess you want the student to realize that they're not going to get hurt in the airplane too but you can't fully disconnect from the fact that hey i'm in a moving airplane anything could happen yeah and the, there's a term we use in the military stress inoculation you're trying Ooh. to you're trying to simulate um so that if you if you do find yourself in the scenario and we'll tie that to to training is Everybody does it or everybody should do it. You learn in a single engine aircraft, what's your instructor going to do? Pull that power back, slide that twist grip off on you. And then it's, what are you going to do in a helicopter? You should get, you should drill down to, you know, you need to enter an auto rotation. 
In an airplane, you need to enter your best glide profile and start troubleshooting and know when to stop troubleshooting and just focus on putting that aircraft down in the safest way possible. The big problem with inadvertent IMC, spatial disorientation, um, and those type of accidents is you've never had that, that training. You just had the fear-based training and you, you know, we can talk all about the, the things in your inner ear and, and what can happen and the visual illusions. But if I can't replicate for that, that for you, because what happens, what do you hear from people when they do get in that scenario? Um, you know, they enter the, the auto rotation, they enter the glide and they, 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 you revert back to your training, you know? And if you don't have that training to revert back to, guess what? Making it up is not, that's not a good place to, to start just making it up or, or just start doing it for the first time. Um, so with Icarus, that's what we're trying to give you is that, that ability to train in the aircraft as realistically as possible for that emergency. And what that's kind of morphed into, I'll be honest, when I first started out, it was all about just that, that visual fidelity of what, look, what it looks like to go into a cloud. And that, that portion of it that I just described was going to be the entire way that we were going to reduce the fatal accident rate. What I've since realized is that weather decision making is the bigger is 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 almost as an equal level of where you're gonna affect that that rate of um, of accidents, and giving that instructor the ability to say, okay, well I'm just gonna bring the visibility down slowly on you and get you to say I would turn around or I would divert to that airport or I would pick up and transition to an emergency IFR flight plan I call approach. Okay, well, let's go do that. Um, so that's that's um, you know something we're 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 really trying to focus on um, as well that weather decision making aspect and giving you the instructor the ability to introduce that. Interesting. Yeah, that brings the whole you know buzzword of scenario based training to a whole nother level, right? Nick, you know, again, as we uh, sort of come to a close on this, it's it's always fun to see how people see deficiencies and problems in the environment, in the industry, and, and come up with ways to to address them. Um, as you say on your website, which is, uh, for those that aren't familiar, it's IcarusDevices.com. Um, but as you say on here, you know, since the original flight training device that you just mentioned um, in 1929, I'm looking at, there hasn't been a whole lot of improvements and, and it's, it's cool to see somebody looking at, at something and trying to find improvements, something that maybe at one point people said, Hey, foggles are the best there is, you know, there's no, they're simple. There, there's no reason to improve it. I think you found a way. Um, that's the way we've always done it. If I, yeah, that's, if that's I the way we've done. always done it. You know, that's, I hate that's that phrase. <laughs> the, the, the death of a lot of great ideas is this is the way it's always been done. Um, so it's, yeah. it's fun to know that there's somebody out there who's, who's seeing ways of making things better. And, and it, it seems like you're doing it for the right reasons. Again, referencing, you know, some of the people that, uh, that you've been acquainted with that, that you, you know, maybe you could have made a difference, um, if, if this was out before then, but, um, I think it's admirable. So, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to me about this and, and telling us a little bit about the history and, and uh, how this could uh, really make a big difference moving forward. Yeah. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. And uh, such a pleasure. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, 
seeing everybody at NAFI at Oshkosh uh, again uh, in 2023. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Any final thoughts or is there, uh, can they buy the device on the website? Do they have to go through a distributor? What's the information? Uh, yep. Uh, you can, um, you can buy uh, directly on the website. Um, there's a contact uh, page. So please reach out if you have any questions. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Looking forward to uh, to get more out there. That's um that's you know we're at that stage right now. So just trying to get it out there and always looking for um you know kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, tell me tell me what you're thinking. If there's something you'd want to see, let me know and maybe we can uh, maybe you know I'm all about finding solutions and, and making improvements. So fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today. And uh, for those of you listening, if you like what uh, the podcast has to offer, please feel free to uh, find us on any of the. Uh, outlets that you receive podcasts and if you feel so inclined feel free to uh, drop us a rating that helps get our name out there and and uh, get us more um, pilots to listen so thank you so much for joining us today and uh, on to the next thanks john take care fly safe hey naffy members nick here thank you for listening and please use the discount code naffy for 10 percent off your very own icarus device for the next month